Hello, and welcome back to Hispanic Genealogy Talk. Here I am thinking about another podcast, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about the subject of trauma, the subject of how to handle trauma in your family of origin story. We all have trauma. Every single one of us has a story that relates to some kind of traumatic event in our history. And since I've been working lately on my book and trying to put all the pieces together regarding the documents that I have found, information and continuing information that I have found in uh, my family history, um, I've come across some trauma. Trauma that we didn't know, that I didn't know, and... um, pretty much trauma that kind of was hidden and underground because it happened a couple of hundred years ago. And so I have uh, put the pieces together and I've come up with more or less of a scenario as to what happened. Uh, This particular person I'm referring to is my great-grandmother, who I'm writing a book on. And um, she she had some trauma in her her line. Um, I think it was probably a very heartbreaking situation for her and her family since it was about uh, the fact that her family was separated and taken away from their, um, from where they lived originally and uh, where uh, they lost some of that land. And they had to relocate due to um, the situation, which I'll get into in just a minute. But, um, This particular person in my family tree was uh, pretty much someone we didn't hardly know anything about. And and now that I have been able to piece the, uh, put the pieces together, I can understand now why we didn't know anything about it because trauma in a family is not spoken about. However, generations later can feel it. So the theme here today is going to be about how to recover from a traumatic event in a family, or maybe that the the trauma happened years and years ago, or maybe even centuries ago, but you're still feeling it. And what I mean to say by that is that you don't know the whole story. The story was hidden. The information was dug deep, literally into the earth, and was not spoken about. Yet, the pain is still there. We still feel sometimes the trauma. And I think we're going through a lot of trauma right now in this country. I think there's a lot of traumatic events that are hurting us as we speak even to the degree that we all don't know if there's going to be a World War III or not, right? We just recovered from a pandemic, which we're now finally coming out of. That was very scary. All kinds of political turmoil, economic turmoil, and now we're facing the possibility of everything literally blowing up. But it traumatizes us because every day we're under pressure to keep up our positive thoughts to not scare our kids and to still carry on. We all still have to take a job. We all still have to feed our children. We all still have to do what we have to do to survive. Yet we're going through this traumatic event. And how do we do that? 
and then we bring it now we're a little bit closer to us and 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 all of the things that um that we as a people i'm referring to the hispanic hispanics in this country and all that we're going through even now it's traumatizing how do we go how do we recover how do we transcend so to speak and so it helps to have a sense of who you are and it helps to have a sense of where you came from this is what roots us any of us really if you will pick someone out of the crowd and ask them if they know anything about their ancestry or if there is uh, anything they know about their immediate family first generation um or the generation that they live in now and they can't tell you very much um unfortunately they're at a, a bit of a disadvantage because they don't know their history so they're at a disadvantage because they don't have that rootedness that some of us that have done the hard work have and it just makes you a stronger person when you do your your genealogical work and your ancestry work and even things that are happening now we can look back on our past and say we've been through some hard stuff my genetics my people have been through some hard stuff but we have survived we have overcome we have transcended so how do we do that how do we get to that place well it all starts with where you are right here right now and finding these clues in your family of origin story I'm not going to lie to you. It's a long process because you have to go out there and you have to dig. You have to dig through a lot of records, and that may take you a very long time. It sure has taken me. But I have to say that it's been worth it because I now can say for the most part that I know where some of this trauma came from. And I can pinpoint to certain events in my historical line that collaborates that because i've done the work i've been um as you all know i i love to read books um and i'm a big audible book listener and just hard copy books in general it's just something that i'm always doing and um because i've said this before the audio books are just great because i can take the book with me <laughs> wherever i go i'm listening i'm picking up lettuce i'm picking up eggs and i'm listening and i'm learning so there's this one book that i want to refer to you really quickly it's i guess you you could say that it's kind of you know hispanic in origin because our hispanic roots from our spanish side go all the way back to rome and um if this is new and surprising to you um let me be the first one to tell you yes you descend from people that um lived in the Roman Empire and so from the Spanish side um you definitely have that connection so the book that i picked up and started reading about recently is a book on roman architecture and what's fascinating to me about this one particular book is that um i've always been fascinated with roman architecture everywhere i go i mean even here in the united states that is the overriding theme of all of our um civic buildings and uh government buildings is that they have that roman look and i know that it 
is connected to a lot of the ideas about democracy. Um, and that's for another podcast. But anyway, this book has been really enlightening to me. So the name of the book is called The Ten Books on Architecture um, by Vitruvius Pulio. And I hope I said that right, because I'm not Italian, but I think that's correct. And I find it so fascinating because historically speaking, we've lost a lot of information on Rome. I mean, most of it was destroyed. I think we have like, I think I read there's like only one or two or maybe 3% of the books that were written have been discovered. And um, that's a whole other story. But the reason, most likely, what every scholar will probably tell you, is that during the fall of Rome in the uh, 4th century, everything was destroyed. So for the most part, a lot of these books are like gold when they are found. So this particular book was found. It was, um, tell you, it was written according to Cambridge Core uh, online. Um, the breakdown or the summary, I should say, the breakdown or the summary was uh, published by Cambridge University Press. Um, so the summary says that this is the person Marcus Vitruvius Polio. And he wrote his 10 books on architecture in the first decade of the Pax Romana, 30 to 20 BC. Now, BC, every, everybody I think knows, is before Christ. So um, this is a very old book, over 2,000 years old. And they found it. They, um, let's see, I'm not exactly sure when they found it, but they did find it. And in 1900, thereabouts, someone um, translated it and was able to put it in, in, in English. So the book is available. And I got my hands on it, got my hands on a digital copy, and I couldn't believe what it was saying because this particular man was uh, very famous in his day. Uh, he was an architect, and uh, he helped build some of the most incredible buildings. Some of them are still standing. So what he did was he wrote this book, and the book is based on architecture, the themes of architecture, and the reasons why they built this particular edifice or this other particular edifice in a particular style. And if you're, his, if you're a history buff like me, you'll really get into the book because it talks about why they chose a particular style, say, for instance, the Pantheon, and how and, how and why they created it that way. And there are reasons for it not just because of structural engineering reasons, but also because of aesthetics, because of the beauty. And he gets into the reasons. So I love this book because it he is writing it in real time. It's happening. And he's writing as it's happening. And these are some of the best books you can find because they're first accounts. This is more or less what it means. It's a first account. And so I'm having a great time. You can also read this book, by the way, if you're really interested in it. I'm going to post um, a link in my Facebook account under Hispanic Genealogy Talk. 
and you'll be able to click on that link and go directly to it. But for those that are interested, you can research it at this place called archive.org. And what they do is they, they digitize some of the greatest books in the world and they put them online for free to read. All you need, I don't even know if you even need an account. You probably just have to get an account. It's a free account. And then from there, you can um, go on there and read as many books as you want. It's kind of like a digital library. You go and you borrow the book for seven days. And then um, after seven days, it just disappears. and You have to go back and, um, you know, rent it again. I love this uh, archives.org because I do a lot of research as well on old Spanish and Mexican texts. And um, I find a lot of that there too. But um, for that particular thing, some of them have been translated, some of them haven't. So you just have to take, you know, decide which one you want to to read. But it's a great resource. So I highly recommend that, archive.org. And then I'm going to put the link to this particular book, The Ten Books on Architecture um, by Vitruvius uh, Polio. And um, anyway... I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but what I'm trying to get to is to say that as genealogists and as as those of us who are in the family history or that you have become the family historian in your family, uh, it's, it's, it's really important to dig deep and go into the issues that you find when you pull up your documents. And some of them are going to be really great and some of them won't be so great. And you're going to do the research. You need to dig deep into the research to find out the reasons why, because it's very possible that a lot of the the trauma that I'm talking about could still be affecting your family. And I'll get into it in just a minute, but for me, it's been a real revelation, and for those that I have shared this with in my family, it's been healing because we didn't know. And and when we have pain, but we don't know where that pain is coming from, kind of like when you have pain in your body, but you don't know where it's coming from, it scares you. You feel out of control. You feel, and then what happens is that your imagination takes over. And pretty soon you're creating a scenario that may not even be close to what the problem is. So during our genealogical search for our family, it's important to dig up and really evaluate when you do um, the traumatic event and the reasons behind the trauma, if you can at all. But it will take time. Now, the other thing that is possible for you that might be helpful, and of course, I refer back to this book that was written 2,000 years ago, how helpful it's been to society to know, to clear up these ideas that we didn't even know. This book, The Ten Books on Architecture by Polio, has been a godsend for years since it was first uh, published in English, because it's helped architects for decades and decades and decades since then, because we now know the reasons for the architectural design that the Romans created, that we um, admire so much, that we find so beautiful. And so 
In doing your own genealogical work, it's important that you narrow in on the good stuff, but it's important that you narrow in on the bad stuff too. And it's it's something that um, I've talked about this before. You're almost like a scientist. You're a researcher. No judgment here. You just have to know the truth. And that's what all this is about, isn't it? Looking for our genealogical roots, doing our ancestry, taking our DNA testing. It's all to find the truth in something. And the oral record is good, but the oral record is just a guide to get you there. You have to fill in the detail with as much information that you can muster, that you can find in your record. So in dealing with trauma and traumatic events, one of the ways that you can do this, and first of all, I would highly recommend that you journal your experiences. In other words, write them down. And not everybody I know is a writer. No one's going to see this. Okay, this is just for you. But if you find something, write it down. Write down some of the feelings that you have when you find this particular document that may not be as wonderful as you uh, expected it to be. Write it down. Because you're also documenting your feelings as you go, and that's helpful in a year year or two or three. Or if you decide you want to give that information over to your children. So documenting your experiences is very important because it's the truth. It's what is happening at that moment for you. Then again, you have to interview all your family members also to get to a particular memory that maybe someone on one side can't remember, but maybe a sister or a brother will remember from a different perspective. Then you write it down, absolutely write it down. The other thing and the other reason why you want to deal with this trauma, if it's still happening in your family, is you want to try and resolve it so it doesn't pass on to the next generation. Extremely important. Genealogy is all about working to heal and to pass on to the next generation. Why? Because it's knowledge, knowledge that the next generation can use to do better next time. No matter what the event was or is, you want to think about the future. And that's what we are all doing when we do genealogical research and write books and and do our DNA, is that we're doing it. If we have children for the next generation, and maybe you're one of those that have no brothers, no sisters, or no family members, uh, no children. Some people are like that. There's some people like that. Then do it just to clear the record up, to clear the historical record up, because I guarantee you, like this book that I'm referring to, the 10 books on architecture, 2,000 years later, it's helping people. So don't underestimate your truth. Don't underestimate your story. Very important. Okay, now what I'm going to do, since I'm almost at 21 minutes here, I'm going to split this podcast in two different uh, episodes so that if you feel like you can't listen anymore, well, you can stop at this point. But if you want to continue, I have another half that I want to discuss. 
So I will stop here for now. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back with Hispanic Genealogy Talk. My name is Cynthia. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. And you can make money with your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, we're back. So thanks for hanging in there and thanks for listening to the second half of uh, my talk on healing your family trauma. So as I was saying, try to resolve the incident if as much as possible in order for you not to pass the misinformation to the next generation. So we're trying to correct our story as we go along. We're kind of like editors trying to go in there. We know what our oral story is, but some of it's wrong. So we have to use our, you know, genealogical eraser and go in there, erase the mistake or um, the misquote or whatever the case may be, the story that's not correct, and write it in with documents to collaborate that. And that's going to be important so that you can clear it up for the next generation. Regarding my my particular situation, um, and the reason why I think about this a lot, is because, well, I went to this seminar yesterday. It's a really great seminar that's being held. I um, took a road trip over to this place called the Huntington Library in San Marino, California. And it's well worth the trip. I went there with my daughter because there was something I wanted to see. And it was, they do lectures, they do free lectures there. And if anybody knows about the Huntington, um, it's one of the premier research centers, not just a museum, but it is a museum too, but it's also a research center for history. And it holds a lot of historical data going back to uh, the founding of California, which at that time was Spanish. So the, the, the name of the, the seminar that I attended was called A Deep History of Mixing Blood, Indigenous Strategy, Fur Trade, and Race Science in North America. And it caught my attention immediately. Um, the professor was Anne Hyde. She's a uh, professor of history at the University of Oklahoma. And she, what she was discussing was how intermarriage was a vital native strategy for using uh, diplomacy and captivity to create a successful world of mixed descent people who pioneered the American West. And of course, we all know that that happened during the conquest, right? That was just something that uh, was a given and it was always taught to us growing up. We know that we are mixed blood. And um, I kind of laugh a little bit, you know, because um, there should be a separate category for us <laughs> when it comes to, you know, race. And um, uh, I know that the people in Canada feel this. They feel they're very, they have a, a, a specific view of race. And um, they're, they're called the Metis. Um, it's a French word for mixed, mixed blood. So for us here in um, in the United States and in Mexico, uh, the, the mixed bloods are considered mestizo. And that is a word that comes from, 
from Spain to um, explain the mixed the mixed uh, um, ethnic uh, groups that were happening uh, after the conquest, and so um, there'll be some there'll be some people I know who will disagree with me regarding you know uh, race because I certainly believe that race is a social construct and doesn't exist. Uh, we are all uh, just ethnic groups of people that have uh, created a culture due to our historical uh, roots. Um, but, I mean, wouldn't it be interesting if people of the world that were mixed blood would just be considered the race of the mixed blood? So, you know, it would be like, what race are you? Well, I'm a Metis or I'm a Mestizo. That would kind of explain things to people if, uh, you know, that were something that people really felt they needed to know about you. But I went to this particular um, seminar because I was looking for information. And it's it's information based on, on new f- found information that I found on my great-grandmother using uh, a set of... Uh, specific um, genealogical um, works, one of them being the um, ancestral part of it, where you dig deep into the ancestry and look for the record. The other one would be in relation to my DNA testing. And then the last one would be um, using historical data to tie everything in. And so this one particular grandmother, a great-grandmother that I'm referring to, had always been, you know, just a nebulous. She was like a cloud. We didn't know anything about her. She was see-through. We just knew her name and that was it. We didn't know where she came from or anything. And during my research, I came to find out that um, she was actually um, a recent arrival within the within her generation or the generation before her um, to, to the area called Sonora. Um, she traces back to... Texas. And then from there, the historical information and the mitochondrial DNA test that I took takes me all the way up to Wisconsin. And I was blown away by it because I had no idea we had connections so close to my uh, line in terms of age, right, within the last 200 years, uh, that took me all the way up to Wisconsin to a a tribe up there that she apparently and her her great great grandparents or grandparents descended from. So I started to do some incredible research, and this particular seminar that I went to was in referring and referencing that particular area of the world and how the Algonquin and the um, Ojibwe uh, and the various the Cree, the various different Native Americans had to fight so hard for this uh, for their land. Um, but at the same time, to summarize everything, if I'm not mistaken, the end of the story is about how, in the end, they had no choice but to intermarry with the French people up there to keep their land. And so it's really a fascinating story, much different than than the idea of, oh, they were raped. They they well, in many ways I suppose they had no choice, but at the same time it was either do that or lose the land. And the land was very important to them. 
And um, so that's what this particular um, seminar was about. In reference to my gr uh, great-grandmother, I, I did the research and found out that right about the time, so she was born in 1845, I believe, about that time, her mother or her great-grandmothers were forced off of the land because um, we're talking about Andrew Jackson and we're talking about all that happened uh, through resettlement to try to keep uh, the land for white people. And so I've put the pieces together and I'm coming up with a story that her people had to leave and they were resettled into Texas. And that is true um, in the historical records. Some of these people from this particular tribe called the Monomi tribe had to be resettled and they resettled in Texas. And that's where my genealogical DNA puts me. It connects me to people in Texas. And then the further line connects me to this tribe. So I have learned so much doing um, the historical record, doing the, uh, which is the genealogical, um, looking for documents, um, the other step of taking the mitochondrial DNA test, and then also researching in the paper trail looking at historical events that have been published and also reading about this particular tribe and their story. And so I've been able to collaborate all the stories and come up with the with this story about my grand great-grandmother who was lost, but now she's found. And it's going to go in the book. I'm very excited to be able to, to share that in the book. But there's specific steps that you must take in order to get to the full story. And it's not over yet. I still haven't fully fleshed a lot of it out. And I still may continue to get to know, you know, the cousins because I'm always being connected. But this is one, this is the way you get there. And certainly it was traumatic, not in the sense that we knew that she suffered. She certainly did suffer because they weren't rich. But in the sense that there's this low-level sadness that we just couldn't rectify. And now that I have this information, I am hoping that it will help clear up the record first, and then you can heal from it. And how do you heal from it? Well, Truth can heal, right? Truth does heal. So before we go jumping off into uh, assumptions or making up stories about things that happen, um, just remember there is a story to everything. There is, for every action, there's a reaction. And there's always a story and there's always two sides to the story because if more than one person is experiencing it, they're all going to have different points of view. And genealogy research and doing the deep dive, as I like to say, to get to the root of something can help you become a better thinker as well. Someone who doesn't just jump to a conclusion without doing the research first, without listening to what happened and listening 
with a real keen eye for finding the truth. Today, we live in a society where headlines are the ones, the breaking news takes our attention away. And in many ways, the media we have today kind of just shuts off that part of your brain that's analytical. The brain that says, wait a second, before I come to a conclusion about something, let me find out what really happened. We don't live in that society anymore. We live in a society where most of the time we're being jerked into one decision or another. That doesn't work with genealogy work, I'll tell you. (laughs) It just doesn't. You have to come up with concrete answers to your questions. It's like someone just, this is what I dislike sometimes about some of these um, these companies, you know, where they'll tell you, just put your family tree up there, you know, we're hosting it for free. But what happens with a lot of people is that they'll take your knowledge and they'll transfer it to their family tree thinking, oh, you know, well, their last name is Gonzalez and my last name is Gonzalez and we were both, you know, in Texas, it must be my family member and they'll grab your information without doing the due diligence themselves. You know, there's a lot of people named Gonzalez in Texas. So what I'm trying to say here is that genealogical work makes you a more truthful person. It makes you someone who will stop, analyze, and really look at the picture. And isn't that what we all want to strive for in the world, is to be better at truth, to be better at passing knowledge on to the next generation, than to be spewing a lie we heard on the internet or on the news? Yes. So I highly encourage you to continue doing your ancestry work. In the end, it will make you a more thoughtful person and a truthful person in many ways. So let's see. I am going to go ahead and put this information, this particular book and some other books that I have been reading. And I uh, I picked up my book um, on the recent book that Linda Ronstadt wrote, I think it's called, It Feels Like Home. Can't find my book right now, but here it is. Yes, It Feels Like Home. And uh, I've gone through like maybe 30 pages of it so far. And I'm loving exactly what she wrote. It's very beautiful. It, um, it's more of a, an ode to her historical roots. It doesn't really go in deep to, you know, her life as a singer or anything. But that's the reason why I picked it up because my roots are from Sonora too. As a matter of fact, we have actual um, genealogical connections there. Not, I'm not related to her in any way, but uh, my Montaño family knew her Ronstadt family when they were living in Sonora in the late 1800s. So um, that connection is, um, is something that I'm having a good time, you know, uh, fleshing out. And uh, reading her book helps me to know, again, right? Um, I don't have um, first knowledge about living in Sonora. I don't have uh, any of that connection because my people left in early 1900. 
but they carried some of that tradition with them. And my mother cooked a lot of the food, so she has recipes in the book. So they cooked a lot of food uh, growing up that's very similar to the recipes uh, that she has. And I want to be able to recreate some of those recipes here at home. Um, but it's a good book. It's a good, it's a good book to get to know a little bit more about her Hispanic roots, because a lot of people didn't know she was Hispanic, and to get to, to get to know about Sonora in general. So if you have ancestors that are from Sonora or from the Texas or Arizona area, kind of like they all share the same cultural um, feelings of, uh, you know, the land is kind of similar. Um, and she discusses a lot of her, of her memories about growing up in the desert. Um, it would be worth it to pick it up. Um, I had to wait a few weeks to get it, but you can get this at the library. I know it's on, it's on everybody's library, um, in, in their, you know, um, catalog. So you can go ahead and pick it up and see at some point, another if you like it, you know, if you have roots in that area, but, um, I want to do a little review on that when I'm done with it and I'm not done. So I don't want to say much about that after that. Um, yeah, other than that, I am um I'm continuing to do my book. I'm pretty excited about that, uh writing it. Um I think it's so important for all of us in this particular uh you know, job that we have to write down what you learn. And as I said, change it if you have to, make sure you have the documents to prove that change and then Pass it on to the next generation. It's going to be so important. And in reference to, to, to trauma, it's very important that we do, we do clear up the trauma. I mean, I think we have an obligation as family historians to get the record straight. If we're going to take that on, we have to take on the, the, the good and the bad. Otherwise, we as a, as a group of people that call ourselves Hispanic will never overcome some of the traumatic things that our culture has had to endure. And a lot of times we allow others to tell us. We allow others to tell us who we are. And I think this is where we error. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happening now as we speak, and I, I am hopeful that we will get through it as a culture, as a people. Um, I know we will. This, these things that are happening, these bad optics, if you will, are, uh, will be resolved. But I think we have to continue to, if we've made a mistake, to correct it and to keep going and not to cower in any way. We, uh, we, have a, we have a wealth of information that we can share that we need to share to the world. And I think it's, it's part of our obligation to show the people who we are. So I certainly hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you for hanging on until the very end. And I am working behind the scenes to bring some more interviews to the podcast, and I hope to get back to you on that. Thank you for listening, and good reading, good learning, and keep on growing.
And of all things, enjoy. Okay, see you next time.